0: Thanks for downloading the Expert Market Focus podcast. This series features interviews between our CEO and Entrepreneur of the Year, Titus Sharp, and other successful business leaders. To read more about these stories and find other useful videos, articles, and research about running a fast-growth business, visit our website, expertmarket.com forward slash focus. Well, thank you very much for coming in. It's great to have you here um, and I've always been very impressed by Distilled. I went to one of your conferences about five years ago and absolutely loved it because SEO is my probably my main passion. Um, and what is amazing about uh, Distilled is how quickly you became the, the thought leaders in the SEO space. Um, so can you talk on thought leadership as how you
1: got there? Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I mean, I don't think I think any strategy that starts out saying, I want to be a thought leader is a little bit of a, um, I don't think you get to say that about yourself. So what we just really started out with was we were curious. And we, so the company actually got started almost 12 years ago. Um, We, it was myself, my co-founder, we didn't have, we were 25, we had no money, no clients, no leads, no industry presence, nothing really. And it was a very, very slow very slow start we didn't hire our first employee for i think almost two years uh you know we worked from his front room for the first 18 months and so i think in the early days we were just jealous of anybody who had any kind of leads that came to them you know that, that early day those early days were literally walking door-to-door selling websites <laughs> and uh, it's kind of funny thinking back uh, literally wearing out shoe leather and I mean, very literally. Yeah. I, I actually remember having to get my shoes replaced quite often. Um, but uh, getting to the,
0: going to the uh, cobbler quite often. <laughs> yes,
1: exactly. And so, I think we started out curious. Yeah. We wanted to learn, yeah. and we needed to learn on behalf of our clients, who we were building websites for at that point. And back in 2006, 2007, Google was the only real channel um, you know, before Twitter, before Facebook Newsfeed. So we started just learning. We thought there must be secrets we didn't know. And we started from kind of reading everything we could, working from first principles. And I think that's, that's one of the, probably, if we're looking at the kind of tips-based side of, of how we got to where we are now, I think that's one of them, is yeah. first principles being yeah. really important. Uh, Elon Musk talks about this, kind of trying to figure things out from the ground up, essentially. How must this work? Yeah. So imagine you were building a search engine. How would you build it? Yeah. And you don't have to do that in a vacuum. You don't have to invent everything. You, know, you can read how they did it. Yeah. But you can also start to think, well, should this work? Should Where's it going to go? Yeah. If I was seeing these challenges or these attacks, you know, so thinking about 2008, 2009, uh, the internet is, is filling up with uh, content farms. Yeah. And they're ranking for every long tail query under the sun. And you can see this problem rising for Google. You can see it growing. Yeah. And you're trying to figure out what are they going to do about it, and and you can see you can work some of that out for yourself. You yeah. can see some signs. You can read bits. You put it all together, yeah. and you can you can come up with. And this was one of our, our kind of nice breakthroughs in that kind of era. Was we were talking to our clients about the Panda update. Yeah, we weren't calling it that, of course, before there was anything like that. Yeah, you know, we yeah, said no, this good, is yeah, coming, yeah. and you've got to watch out for it. So in fact, I was, I was speaking to a journalist uh, yesterday, or the day before, about the problems Google's having with voice search and the one box answers. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, with the rise of fake news and the yeah. kind of current polarized political environment and all this kind of thing there's been a lot of coverage recently about the challenge Google is having where if you search certain controversial things Google will give you a single answer a single canonical answer that is absolute nonsense you know that they've pulled from some fake news site somewhere sure. and there's always been stuff that isn't true in Google yeah but I think it was much less of a big deal, much much less of a problem for them when it was one of ten yeah. and there were all of the rebuttals and everything else was there. But especially if you're looking at something like Google Home, where you ask a question, you get a single answer back. And yeah. Google is almost saying, it's almost coming with the weight of Google. It's yeah. almost yeah, yeah. coming yeah. And saying, Google thing. It
0: must be true. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: and and I think it's going to be a really big problem for them. And yeah. so, again, we're trying to figure out, like, what, yeah. from first principles, what do you do in that situation? Yeah. And I, I think the answer is you you massively dial up the, trust you have to have in a website before yeah. it can be the one box answer Google's done a ton of research on this trying to pick apart those different kinds of untruths mm-hmm. because there's facts that are just wrong there's things that are controversial there's uh, deliberately misleading yeah. stuff there's stuff that's just politically skewed or biased yeah. like they're all different kinds of problem yeah. and so I think you need to take different approaches in different areas and, and I mean there is a lot of research on it and we, we can link out some of that stuff but uh, Nobody's cracked it and the big problem and I think Facebook has this problem as well yeah. is if you're gonna be a metrics driven organization yeah. whether you're Google or whether you're Facebook. The problem is people Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> I know. The problem is that people actually like fake news yeah. more than they like real news yeah. because real news is challenging it It doesn't always agree with you. You don't yeah. always agree with it. You dislike it yeah. Whereas fake news is like it makes you feel all kind of oh you know, I've, exactly. I've always exactly. been right yeah. about everything and this completely confirms all my biases and so yeah. I think the big challenge they're gonna face is Actually, to do better at this, they have to disappoint their users, yeah, and the The big danger is what if the organization that wins is the one that doesn 't disappoint its users and therefore yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah. know, just makes them feel, yeah, yeah, uh, you yes, know, yes. stuck in their little filter bubble and, and yeah, yeah. hearing what they what yeah. they already believe. But it's a vicious circle, isn't it?
0: It's a vicious circle because you get sort of, you know, Facebook. As you know, the more people share those articles to those the demographics that are very similar to them, yeah. the greater the virality
1: of that content, and and the more successful Facebook is. So, yeah. so, 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 you know, it's it, a huge it, problem for both it, of them. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I am optimistic. You know, too, I'm optimistic yeah. generally about yeah. uh, about everything, really. But I think that I think that we probably will. Make a lot of progress in the next months and years, but I think it is a a really big problem for for both organisations.
0: One other question I've got is obviously you are the thought you know one of the Britain's probably leading thought leaders in SEO. Can you talk to me about what the future of search holds?
1: The the big one at a company wide level is the growth of machine learning. So Google under Sundar becoming machine learning first, and with uh, um, well so. I was say, with the replacement of Amit by John Jinn-Andrea, so Amit Singhal was the head of search mm. at Google and, and famously didn't really like machine learning in okay. organic search. He wanted an algorithm that was explainable. He wanted his engineers to be able to tell you why a given mm. website ranked mm. better mm. than another one. Um, and, and so although they used machine learning in paid search, they'd always kind of kept it to the periphery well, of organic that. search. Okay. So it was single ranking factors mm. like Panda or Penguin that, that were yeah. kind of coming in, but it wasn't the whole thing. Yeah. And... Uh, my my thesis had been that there was this line that you could draw through his replacement so Sundar replaced him with John G and Andrea who previously ran the machine learning division at Google and you can see the rise of machine learning and Sundar is a huge machine learning advocate Uh, that's become slightly muddied just as we've learned in the last couple of weeks that actually Amit was forced out of Google um, following some kind of uh, allegations around um, uh, some kind of discrimination, some kind of... uh, We we don't know all the details, really. But uh, he was hired at Uber and has recently been fired from Uber. And in the process of that, it came out that actually he was pushed out of Google. So maybe it's not as simple and cut and and dried as as it first seemed, but uh, nonetheless, the point stands that machine learning is hugely on the rise at Google. Sundar's a big big advocate of it. And um, their capabilities are just coming on in leaps and bounds. There was an article in the New York Times Magazine in December That talked about Google Translate. One of the it was about a whole load of stuff about artificial intelligence, but there was this anecdote about Google Translate, which had been built over a decade, hundreds of engineers, many many man years of uh, of engineering work, and that uh, they'd had this idea: could we use machine learning instead? And they kind of said, oh, maybe two or three years, maybe we could replace. Two or three years work, maybe we could replace this. And uh, Jeff Dean, who's a kind of legendary engineer at Google, said, I think we can do it in a year. And the head of Translate didn't want to be the one who said, told Jeff Dean he couldn't do something and said, well, you know, Fine, off you go. A team of three engineers came back in a month with not Results. only something that was oh, better yeah, than incredible. the existing Google Translate, wow. but the amount it was better. Yeah. Was a, it was a bigger improvement wow. in that time than they'd made yeah. in the entire 10 previous yeah. years of, of, of work. So the, yeah. the, the speed that machine learning is, just, is getting better yeah. is incredible. And so I think the, that's the big story. Yeah. Everything else comes from that because what that means is the results are going to get better. Yeah. But they're also going to become more magical, more mysterious. Yeah, no, like how similar. on earth did yeah. Google know that that was what I was looking for? Yeah. Yeah. They'll be more personalized, more individual. Uh, more, they'll take into account all kinds of other, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. environmental factors yeah. or history or wh- yeah. whatever else has been yeah. going on with you, and so. Uh, they'll, but they'll also become less explainable. Yeah. So both as marketers and even to Google engineers themselves, it'll be harder to say like, why is this particular site the right answer for this yeah. particular query? Yeah. And um, so that's leading to a lot of our uh, kind of strategic level at distilled. Mm-hmm. One of our big investments is into split testing yep. in SEO.
0: Have you launched a split testing product, or are you about to launch a split testing product? Yes,
1: it's live. It exists. It's at uh, distilledodn.com. Okay. Okay. We called it the ODN, the Optimization Delivery Network, okay. because it deploys much like a CDN, like a content delivery network, okay. Okay. because uh, this is a kind of a different approach than... So, I mean, you've probably done split testing for conversion rate optimization, Absolutely. user experience yeah. testing, yeah, those okay. kind of things. It's different to that. Because when you do those kind of tests, you're deploying them in the browser yep. and you're splitting the users. Yep. So you're saying, okay, let's take, I mean, the simplest version is you take a, a page, create two versions, mm-hmm. show half your audience, one version show the other half the other version and see which one converts yep. better. And that's typically done with JavaScript in the, uh, in the browser. That doesn't work for testing the performance in search because there's only really one Googlebot. So you, you'd have to put Googlebot when it crawls your website, would have to either go in bucket A or bucket B yeah. and either get the you know the control version of the page or the variant version, yeah. and then you're not split testing at all. Yeah. Yeah. So the way that uh, SEO split testing works is instead of splitting the users, you split the pages. So it only works on big sites, really. Uh, okay. And so you know, large e-commerce sites, big job sites, big travel sites, you, anything okay. with a lot of similar pages yeah. essentially. And what you do is you, you take a, a change that you think you want to make, mm-hmm. and you change some percentage of the pages. Yeah and you don't apply the enhancement to the other pages and you keep them back as a control group and then as google kind of recrawls and re-indexes your site you look at the performance of the control group relative to the the pages that got the enhancement so a simple example would be adding structured data to a, a uh, product pages on an e-commerce site, for example, okay. yep. and you just add it to some of those pages and see if they rank better, see if they get better click-through rates, see if they get more organic search traffic than the. And,
0: and so, is that integrated at what sort of level? Is it integrated at the CMS level, or uh, so, so it's, a, it's JavaScript it's, level, or sort of
1: like it's, a, it is server-side, okay, but it server-side. doesn't rely on what the CMS looks like. This is yeah. why it deploys like a like a content delivery network. So, okay. where a CDN. The user comes in, instead of hitting your web server directly, they hit the yeah. content delivery network on the outside, yeah. which refers to your web server. We sit in between, oh, essentially. See. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and that means that we get to control the HTML yeah. that is returned. And so as far as a user or Google is concerned, yeah. you've made the actual change on your website, okay. yeah. but, in, but what we're actually doing is we're, enabling, we're making it easy to make that change just to 5 10 50% of your pages, yeah. rather than all of them.
0: It's interesting. One thing that we we we've got our own split testing right. sort of software that we've built in house as well. And uh, one thing that we found on the traditional packages of of yeah conversion rate testing is is actually the latency that you yep. JavaScript latency mm-hmm. it actually slows down the page a bit. If you is that something that your thing resolves because of these? Uh, so w-
1: there's different kinds of issues. So yeah, yeah. we're uh, we don't cause any slowness in the browser okay, because of yeah. course what's returned is is just regular HTML. Um, we do sit in that. Network flow, but yep. because we're inside the CDN, yep. it's fairly minimal. So, okay. yeah, we've got um, we've got some super fast sites on it. So, I think yeah. I think the fastest one we've measured is we're returning uh, the entire page in seventy three milliseconds or something. Where you know Google's guidelines are two hundred is a fast site. So, uh, yeah, it, we can be super fast even with our stuff in place. Yeah,
0: and so does it sit on an ultra hey, it okay, uh, so okay, yeah, scalable? It's in AWS, it's in scalable cloud. Makes perfect sense. Cool, fantastic. So. Um, Perhaps moving on to sort of more leadership stuff. Mm. Um, so tell me a bit about the size of your organisation and and when because I know one thing you've done, uh, you know you've been one of the successful British companies to take the leap. And there's lots of uh, you know, and MVF is on that journey as well. Uh, you know, can you talk a bit about that sort of growth from from one office to multiple offices and what challenges and and. You know how you how you chose Seattle and New York as your as your leap offices. Talk to, talk to me on those things, and talk to me about the scale of the organisation. Right. So
1: well, so we're forty yeah. uh, something people yeah, right now, okay, yeah. Um, and yeah, we're spread across three offices. So they're, they're kind of especially our US offices are fairly small at the moment, but um, you know, but but hopefully going to grow in the next year. And we, so we started out in London, yeah. and we were in London for the first whatever that was. Uh, Five or six years of, yeah. uh, of our existence, and then actually, it was kind of a serendipitous. Well, it was actually part of the the same story of trying to be um, part of this figuring out what works. Part of the you know, what you call thought leadership. You know, this kind of education space, yeah. I guess, is we formed a close partnership with a company called SEO Moz, now called Moz.com. Rand Fishkin. And uh, so they're based in Seattle, yep. and we uh, we got to know them very well. We actually partnered with them, and we used to do, we delivered UK consulting work for their, for their, or European work for their, for their European clients, see, okay. so before they were a software and services, uh, you know, um, subscription service platform, they actually did client work, right, they were, they were an agency, essentially a okay. consultancy, and so we used to deliver their European work, and then we gradually started actually behind the scenes delivering work in the US for them as well, and as they were, tran- that was as they were transitioning into a, a software model, and then, late two thousand nine, early two thousand ten, they quit the consulting business to focus. They raised uh, venture capital and they focused in on their software business. And so they stopped taking on clients. And so uh, I remember the phone call saying, you know, "From Ram, say, yeah, <laughs> exactly." So it, 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 <laughs> yeah. it's you know, probably the, the luckiest business thing that's ever happened to us. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, but it came out of that same effort of. Con- producing content, producing, um, like trying to figure out where the industry was going, yeah. all of that stuff was how we formed that relationship in the first okay. place. So yeah, uh, yeah. The, I think somebody talks about um, being lucky as, as increasing your surface area of serendipity. Yeah. Like the more you do, yeah. the more, chan- the the more, more areas you have that, yeah, exactly. that, that you yeah. get those opportunities coming in through. So yeah, it happened. Uh, you know, Rand said, do you want to come out to, to Seattle and open an office? Uh, one of our team was up for it. So Rob Oosby, who still runs the office out in Seattle, yeah. uh, moved out there. Moved his, uh, moved his family out there and um, yeah, opened the office. So that kind of fell wow. out. Okay, so it's so, so opportunistic.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: So in fact, ironically, so talking about leadership, one of the things everybody talks about is having this uh, you know, vision and mission for a company. Yeah. And we'd just gone through a, um, a process of really trying to make that concrete at, at the still just before this happened, so yeah. September 2009. Yeah. And the punchline, the thing we'd written on the whiteboard, was be the best SEO company in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> right, we're going to focus in on the UK. This is, yeah, this is our, this is our yeah, thing. Yeah. This is our mission. And um, then Rand phones up and says, Do you want to come to America? And we were like, Yeah, sure, forget that. Yeah, let's do that. So <laughs> I, I think. America uh, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, UK yeah.
0: and America. And America. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so, uh, yeah, little asterisk. And so, um, yeah, so we ended up in Seattle. Yeah. And then that was great. And because we had this relationship with Moz, they were passing us uh, new leads and so forth. That, yeah. that was kind of, uh, actually, the growth side was easy in, that, in yeah, the early yeah. days. And then New York was a bit more deliberate. You know, we said, well, if we're going to have eight time zones yeah. and you know, have to get up at whatever time and work at whatever time, then uh, we might as well have an East Coast presence. Yeah. Where are we going to be? Well, we might as well be in New York. And uh, actually, it was my brother who went out to open up our New York office. Okay. So he'd been, he wasn't a founder of Distilled, but he'd been yeah. working with us for a long time by that point. Yeah. And he went out there, got the office up and running, um, and then uh, went off to do some other stuff. And he's, he's actually back consulting with us again now, kind of a yeah. principal consultant type role. Okay. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that's kind of how we how we ended up in America. And I don't think it's a, a normal story, but it okay. uh, yeah. you know, kind of worked for us.
0: Opportunistic. fantastic. Yeah. yeah, okay, excellent. Um, and, and, and how do you find the sort of managing that culture across time zones?
1: It's a fascinating question because we didn't necessarily have... Uh, plan for that we had no experience yeah. of it yeah. but then we had no experience managing anyone I think you know, our first hire was literally the first person either myself or my co-founder had ever managed yeah. so it's all been a process of figuring it out as, as we've gone yeah. along yeah. Um, the, I think the time zones are a bigger challenge than the distance I'd agree yeah. but uh, you know, Seattle is eight hours behind yeah. and that means we only have that little overlap In working hours so a lot of it is working flexibly and you know uh rob is often up early for conference calls with the uk we're often working late for conference calls with uh you know with, with the us we try to build communication into everything i think the the thing the first thing that fails is communication and we've messed up on this like you know i'm sure my team some of my team might watch this and go you definitely not got <laughs> that nailed uh it's been the thing we've worked hardest yeah, on yeah. and we definitely still don't have it kind of yeah. completely tied down um, but
0: do you use something like slack we, we use slack people? now yes. i find that's been very useful for sort of like getting our
1: us Feeling part yep. of
0: the Absolutely. Of banter, feeling of, part, yeah. banter of the organization. The sort of, uh, kind of
1: water cooler chat. Yeah, exactly. Um, but also the passive awareness of what's going on. Yeah, exactly. I think yeah, it's the good more that you can um, default to open yeah. and have those conversations in in public, even if it's two senior team members talking about something, yeah. if you have it in a channel where the rest of the team can see it, yeah. they see how those decisions are made, and, and that pervades <laughs> culture. And I think, uh, so there's that kind of thing. There's, um, I finally... I mean, this was years ago, but I wish I'd read it earlier. Finally, read a book called uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Team" by a guy called Patrick Lencioni, and he also has written a whole bunch of others. They're all quite similar. But uh, another one is "The Obsessions of an Extraordinary, Extraordinary Executive," okay. and uh, the I would strongly—they're only very short books. They're kind of parable, told a okay. story. Um, they're very easy reading, and what I would very yeah. strongly recommend them to anybody in any kind of management yeah. or leadership role. And uh, they were actually recommended to me by, by an ex-client who's, who's now a close friend and the, the, there's a few things in there, but one thing that sticks with me is the, uh, the, the, the way you b- bake culture into an organisation and so it, one of the obsessions of the extraordinary executive in, the, in this book is tying all decisions back to your core values. And you know, they're not just things that you write somewhere, but you refer back to them all the time. Yep. And so we've tried to bake that into everything from hiring to promoting to uh, you know, all those kind of um, organizational decisions. Yep. So for example, when we're hiring, the, uh, one of the changes we made was to say instead of, it's very easy to interview someone, a couple of you interview someone, they leave, you go straight back in the room and start talking about them. Right? I'm sure that many people who've interviewed have had that experience. Um, but that's unstructured means that you don't have kind of coherency about how different people do things. And we were worried that it could lead to kind of groupthink and just hiring people like us and yeah. you know, whatever. So we, um, we instituted a, a post-interview process where you don't go and talk to the person you interviewed alongside. You both separately go back to your desks and you write up your notes. Yeah. And you write it into a form that explicitly references you, the, our core values. Yeah. So you're rating the interviewee based on, in our case, you know, um, what do you think about communication? because uh, excellent communication is, is one of our kind of core values. Um, uh, ownership and getting things done. Um, smarts. You know, like We have this whole yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, list, but you're explicitly grading them against those things. Yeah. And that helps ground everyone on saying, you know, we're, we're looking for, this is what culture means, this is what distilled means, and this yeah. is how we're going to work together. So we've tried to implement those yeah, kind of things uh, across yeah, the business. Yeah, yeah. So,
0: I, I found the uh, role of a CEO, you know, you have some great moments, you have some... Some terrible moments mm-hmm. and obviously you've got to pretend that you're always having a great moment. Uh, Can you talk to me on, on what has been the highest point of your, your CEO-ship and, or, and the lowest point?
1: Yeah so I think the highs and lows certainly in general terms they, they all revolve around people I find that there are kind of adrenaline highs or short-lived highs around winning some new business or you know uh, winning an award or something public that kind of yeah, thing yeah. or standing on stage and, at yeah. a conference those are kind of short-lived I think the things that I find the highest as I look back over things and certainly the things I anticipate that I'll look back on yeah, you know in a decade or whatever yeah. and, and yeah. think that that was really great are around people they're around uh, people we've worked with careers that have developed people we've hired early in their career who've gone on to be um, you know I was going to say household names. Household names within our... Within well, you know, the SEOs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. micro-celebrities, yeah, as yeah. we call them. L- literally dozens of people know who they are. <laughs> uh, and um, I think that, that seeing people come in at that yeah. early stage of their career and develop into uh, you know, leaders is the, the most rewarding thing overall. Uh, and I think that ties into the lows as well. You know, the, by, It's kind of cliche, but by far the hardest thing is any time that you have to ask somebody to leave the organization, yeah. whether that's... Uh, you know, performance related or um, you know roll, um, redundancy type restructuring related or, or whatever it might be. And I think that the, actually doing that is hard, which is a cliche, obviously it's harder on the, you know, the, the person on the other side of the table. But the thing that uh, I've had the most kind of sleepless nights over has been the decisions in that lead up process and the... Um, uh, that all the trade-offs that you're trying to make you know you're operating in a world of uncertainty. you don't have 100 percent information you never can have you're trying to make uh, it's always the hard decisions yeah. that land on your plate right yeah. if they were easy somebody else would have made them yeah. and so uh, the, the stuff that bubbles up tends to be the the, the unpleasant the hard the the 51 49 calls yeah. and uh, I think that so one uh, another, <laughs> another Lencioni book is the, um, is all about, what's I can't remember the exact title, but it's to do with being a CEO, basically, and um, one of the, oh, the temptations of a CEO, and one of the temptations, he basically says, everybody will have some combination of these, and my one is what he calls the temptation to be right, and that doesn't sound like too bad of a thing, but the way it manifests itself is that if you really want to be right all the time, then you will punt hard decisions. You'll particularly, you'll punt hard, you'll punt decisions that where you don't have perfect information, mm-hmm. hoping that one day you'll have more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But often that is the worst decision you could make yeah, because yeah. A, you know, a poor plan, or whatever the, the phrase is, a poor plan executed strongly now is better than yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the perfect plan executed later. Yeah. And that's the one I really struggle with is, is I have to try and force myself to say, there's a deadline on this decision, it's getting made, and I'm gonna make it even though I don't have perfect decision perfect information and then the critical thing which I'm very much still a personal work in progress is the way that's communicated Mm -hmm. because I always have a temptation to open up about it and and say you know I'm really not sure about this is this is a knife-edge decision could have gone either way which doesn't really help the team you know they want to hear this is definitely the right answer this is what we're doing and yeah there were other options but this is definitely what we're doing and here's how it's going to pan out and the critical the, the temptation not to be wrong is i have a, this temptation to couch that stuff in um in vague terms so i'll talk about uh you know, being bigger or being better or being whatever which is fine it's directional whereas i think the, the the argument goes that the strongest leaders can say we're going to be we're going to be plus 20 in the next quarter we're going to do this. We're going to do that, and they'll be very concrete things, yeah. and they'll be time-based, and they'll be specific, sure. and they'll be wrong, right? Because you won't. It won't be plus twenty percent. Of course, it'll yeah. be plus fifteen or plus twenty-five. Yeah. And that um, the, uh, the, uh, the the argument that I'm trying to work through is this: you know, I need to get over that, yeah. and then communicate along the way, yeah. and then you you know you can revise that. You can yeah. revise the plan, revise the estimate, yeah. revise yeah. whatever yeah. it is. But that the, the um, Concreteness yeah. helps in that communication, and that's something I'm trying to learn.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You, you seem to, you know, you obviously have lots of influences on your, you know, how you've developed as a CEO. Can you talk to me on, on, you know, where you get your input? You know, mm-hmm. you know, I I found that sort of the certain other CEOs that I've learned a lot from. Um, I, I tend to be less book focused and more finding other CEOs who I really yep. sort of like can get great ideas from. Mm-hmm. Where do you where do you pick up your CEO learnings from? I guess um, other than just being a CEO and a doing bit, it. A, a bit it of both.
1: So I, yeah. I I do I love reading. Yeah. And I love uh, I read a lot of nonfiction yeah. of all kinds, and I particularly like biographies because I find that. So I hated history at school. Yeah. I, I was I did maths, physics, chemistry, you know, very very uh, yeah. sciencey maths kind of stuff. Dropped, chem- dropped history at the first possible opportunity yeah. hated the way it was taught mm-hmm. now fascinated by it yeah. would love to do a kind of you know um, a grown up uh, course in in certain kinds of history because I think that the it's the humanity of it that never came through yeah. in the way I was taught it certainly yeah. but now reading how real people struggled with hard decisions, mm-hmm. I find that the most distilled form of um, learning yeah. for me personally so some, some of it is learning in the abstract from from other people whether it's yeah. uh, you know the kind of self-help books like like the Lencioni stuff or whether it's more biographical so um, uh, the, the other book that I would strongly recommend to anybody so they be new to a leadership role is uh, The Hard Thing About Hard Things which is uh, written by a guy called Ben Horowitz who is now a VC but previously an operator, he ran um, uh, you yeah. know, he, he ran a whole bunch of businesses and had to make some incredibly hard decisions. And yeah. he, the book is all about not glossing over the, yeah. those hard decisions. So part of it is that. Part of it is the same as you, um, finding peers, finding yeah. Yeah. Uh, people I can meet in person and, and bounce ideas off. Yeah. I'm a, a member of a few informal groups or, okay. you know, so that in fact, a Slack channel. Okay. Um, so totally the, okay. I mean, one Slack group, I mean, one email group, I mean, okay. one Facebook group. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, these just different places where you... They're different circles. So some of them are explicitly CEOs or founders yeah. of small businesses. Some of them are explicitly digital businesses. Yeah, okay. uh, you know, so different, yeah. different inputs. Uh, and then some of it in person yeah. with. Um, so for example, we have a couple of uh, you know, external advisors to yeah. the business. Okay. And sometimes it's nice to just meet yeah. them yeah. for breakfast or something yeah. and uh, bounce the hard problems yeah. around. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Um, one of the other questions I've got is is on being a CEO and your responsibility and the, the responsibilities it comes with. Do you feel there is responsibilities beyond the organisation that you're running?
1: Yes. Fascinating question. So, yes. But one thing I struggle with, and I'll, I'll get into what I think those are, but yeah. one thing I do struggle with is, is the difference between me as human person yeah. and the broader responsibilities I think we all have as people mm. and me in a in an organisation mm. and so, in particular for example, I, I, I struggle with things like company level charitable donations. I would rather match donations or something like that, yeah. where it's not me deciding, yeah. no, no, what you your, rather than still having a political position or a yeah, yeah. Uh, position that a certain it charity, up from absolutely, within, th- 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 there's a, a kind of a, a collective yeah, going sure, on yeah. there and, and I mean, I, I pos- this is where I possibly skew uh, too far towards the individual freedom yeah. end of things. but. Uh, I almost go so far as to say I'd rather give them not match, give yeah. whatever money was going to match just to the people yeah. and make can decide. You know, yeah. They can make yeah. their own charitable donations or, or whatever else. I, I, I oscillate a bit on that one. but um, Broader responsibility, yes. So I think that uh, one thing we've been talking a lot about recently at Distilled is, is diversity, for yeah. example. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, that's it, it, that's actually an interesting one where I happen to believe that we can just selfishly do what's best for the business, which happens to be, try and build the most diverse teams we can and you know, go looking for talent in places that nobody else is looking. Yep. Uh, so that's an awkward one in the sense that it's actually, it's a, it's a, it's a convenient one because yeah, it, it happens to be act an actually. intersection yeah. of uh, social good and um, uh, you know, hard-nosed business good. The, but yeah, I think that I think that we have these responsibilities to be, uh, to, to, to empower the team, to, to create an, a great place to work, yeah. all of those kind of things I think are, are, would be true even if they weren't good, mm-hmm. or even if they weren't the perfect solution for the business. And so some of those kind of go above and beyond. So we try and bake some of that stuff into the core values. Yeah. So uh, our core values end with we aspire to be the best place for the best people to work. Now we're never we're never going to get there, right? That, that, that's a that's one of those impossible, lofty. Uh, you know, that, that if you just if you could measure that, yeah. there will always be somewhere better that we that we're trying to compete against. But it tries to guide us towards. Uh, the, the reason that's a core value, or what, the reason why it could need to be a core value, is that it's not always obvious that that is the best thing for the business. But this is what we believe this is what we're trying to do, yeah. anyway. Um, so yeah, I think I guess they all tie together in in all kinds of different ways. Um, but we're um, I, I, I think the where it really comes from for me though is the human end, the, the individual end. That if we're individually trying to be um, good citizens, or, or however you want to phrase it, that we are... Um, you know, Organisations are just made up of people. Yeah. And, and I think... So this is one... Like, the, the, there, there, there was that transition. I, I yeah. distinctly remember the first time anybody ever said to me, Distilled should.
0: Yeah.
1: And it was fascinating, because up to that point, it had been, you should. Yeah. Or you and Duncan should, my co-founder and I. <laughs> you? Yeah. Um, you know, like Distilled should buy me a laptop. A new laptop, or, yeah. or whatever. And there was a moment when it decoupled. Yeah. in some people's minds. But for me, it's never really decoupled that it's kind of, actually, it's just the only reason we have companies yeah. is to bring a group of people together yeah. to do things. So I kind of always come back to that human element. And so we try and, um, and then we try and empower the team a lot. Yeah. So uh, this has nothing to do with being good citizens, but the way that we do uh, to the like, equipment type stuff is uh, every team member at Distilled has a personal budget um, we call, it ended up being called the happiness budget but uh, it's essentially the, 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 the small print says um, it's to be spent on anything that makes you happier or more productive in your job so it does have to be related to your job yeah. um, and uh, the, that ends up allowing people to decide what's best for them yeah. and that isn't a kind of top-down you know, everybody must have a new chair yeah. everybody must have a new whatever yeah. it's kind of you can choose between that's really nice um, like, that, like, that's a really yeah. lovely concept and so, and yeah. so I, but that pervades over into the other stuff as well yeah. so I think that yeah. the, I would rather see that empowerment in how we all try and be yeah. good for the world whatever that, yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. that means to yeah. different people Got you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so to the future what, what what does the future hold for
0: Distilled what do, what do you what do you see where do you see Distil in five years? What, what? Yeah, so
1: I mean, um, I should caveat it with, uh, I mean, I already told you the story about the, the 2009 uh, vision-setting exercise that was, yeah, yeah, that was wrong yeah. in two months. So uh, <laughs> the, the caveat is we're, you know, we love the adventure. Yeah. So I, I, I see us having a bunch of adventures we haven't even thought of yet. But uh, in, in kind of more concrete terms, so we're working on the, the software product. That's yeah. the big strategic initiative, and that's starting to pervade everything else. So in the sense that we're not looking to become a software business, but we are... Um, so the, the software needs a lot of professional service, a lot of consulting around sure, it. Yeah. So one side is, I, I imagine that on that kind of timescale, probably even sooner, three years from now, mm-hmm. we will have more than half our clients will be um, on the ODM platform. Yeah. Um, whether they came in as ODM customers or whether they're existing clients who we move on. And the reason for that is that that's, that differentiates us. You know, yeah. That we're uh, Not only are we running these tests that other agencies aren't, but um, when we have this in place for our clients, yeah. we're able to be more effective and yeah. get more things done and be, be, just get better results fundamentally. Yeah. And so I think that the, the next year or so, there's a lot of focus on, um, there'll be more of a focus than we've ever had in the past on specific sec- sectors and segments. So we've always been fairly agnostic about the verticals yeah. we work in. But we're doing more and more work in e-commerce, yeah. for example, and so, so I think we'll be into that yeah. So we'll be publishing a lot. There'll be a lot of new data. There'll be yeah. a lot of uh, new case yeah. studies. Yeah. A lot of research into what works and what doesn't in yeah. that sector. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that uh, you know we're going to see you growth and all, in all that kind of stuff. Well, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. Well, I think you're already there. Thank you. But
0: um, well, thank you very much for coming in and appreciate your time. And uh, it's been fascinating it's been fun. to thank you. Thank you for having me on. Been, it's been great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Expert Market Focus podcast. To hear more from this series, subscribe now or head to expertmarket.com forward slash focus.